0: The Scuttlebutt is proud to welcome Millerstown Pickapart, a self service salvage yard where you can get parts you need for your car, truck, or van at very attractive prices because you do the work. Bring your own wrenches, hammers, screwdrivers, sockets, jacks, drills, or whatever you need, except for torches, to wrestle out the parts you need for the vehicles in the yard. Millerstown Pickapart was created 17 years ago to provide reasonably priced solutions for auto parts needs. Millerstown is the perfect fit for those seeking discount auto parts to repair their own vehicles. Millerstown has a huge inventory of cars, which they purchase from individuals, towing companies, and auctions, and from its sister auto salvage recycling operation. For hours, directions, inventory, parts availability, and pricing, you can go to pickapartyard.com. That's P-I-C-A-P-A-R-T. Y-A-R-D, pickapartyard.com or call 724-224-4777. That's pickapartyard.com or call 724-224-4777.
1: When you love someone and you lose them, all you want is for other people to have had the opportunity to know them. And when you love someone so much and you have nowhere for that love to go, you you have to find purpose somewhere. And that's kind of what has led me here.
0: Welcome everyone to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. Our mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. If you've been a longtime listener to The Scuttlebutt or if you're new to us, uh, we ask that you please spread the word uh, by liking, sharing, subscribing, and ringing the bell on YouTube. That way you're the first person to know when we put up a new episode. Uh, We also wanna connect with you, so please drop me an email at Sean, that's S-H-A-U-N at veteransbreakfastclub.com. Some of our scuttlebutts are educational, some are really fun, Uh, some are movie reviews. Today's episode is focused on Gold Star Mothers and Family Month, and also Suicide Awareness Month, both which happened in September. And both Catherine and I are very honored to be joined today by Gold Star wife Sarah Wilkinson. Sarah's husband, Chad Wilkinson, served for 21 years, was a Navy SEAL, a Silver Star recipient, and ultimately took his life in 2018. Sarah is here today to honor Chad's memory by telling us their story and how she has taken all the love that she has for him and turned it into something that we can all share to remember Chad by. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on The Scuttlebutt. It's an honor to have you.
1: Thank you for having me. I I really appreciate it.
0: Of course. And, you know, I, I have to commend you right here off, off the hop here that uh, I've listened to a lot of your interviews and, uh, climbing this mountain, uh, is, is, is a tough cross to bear. And I just, I find it very admirable that you want to honor Chad by telling your story. Um, but understand that that's not always easy to do. Um, so I, I just, again, thank you for, for coming on to talk about Chad and, and sort of what his service meant to you and, and informing our audience about who
1: Chad was. (laughs) I appreciate that. I like your metaphor of climbing that mountain, because that resonates with Chad and who he was. And, and it is, it's a mountain to share this story, but worth it, I hope.
0: Totally. So, uh, you know, as I said, there's other interviews out there that sort of detail, very much detail about your sort of uh, your relationship. But I do want to give our our listeners a sort of brief overview that you guys were high school sweethearts. Uh, You met back when you were both military brats.
1: Yep. We were military kids going to a DOD high school. So for listeners, that's Department of Defense, a high school that's on a military base, small school. um, And I met him the first day of my freshman year. He was a year older than me, and I instantly had a crush on him.
0: Um, And how early did he know that he wanted to serve? Were were his parents also in service?
1: Yeah. So his dad was a former SEAL. His uncle was a SEAL. Mm -hmm. And I think from the time he was a teenager, we'll say around 12 or 13, I think he pretty much had it in his mind of that's what he wanted to do. And, uh, you know, spent his youth with his brothers playing. They used they would refer to it as army man, but, you know, playing in the woods, pretend guns, camo, t-shirts. And so it was just in his blood. That's what he wanted to do.
0: So there was never an idea of like joining the army. It was always going to be Navy SEALs.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no army. But um, yeah, he wanted to be a SEAL. He, he wanted to be. He also liked challenges. He was just that guy that wanted to push himself to the total brink. And I think that's one way he saw he could do it.
0: Uh, we've talked a lot on the scuttlebutt about we had an episode full about military brats. What what did you appreciate about military being a military brat?
1: What did you not like? Man, that's a great question. I, you know, I've said this before, people are creatures of habit, whether it's good habit or bad habit, you like what you know. I, I only know a military life. I was mm-hmm. born into it and then married into it. Being a kid growing up, um, I think I like the constant change. Looking back now, I can say that we moved a lot. My dad was an officer. So, you know, every two to three years we moved. Uh, you start over and it's just kind of like when you're a kid, you're pretty resilient. You move around, you make some friends. Life is good. It's a new adventure. It got harder as I got, became a teenager. I think as an adult now, and especially where I sit, being a military kid um, in some ways isolates you. It, it makes you independent almost to a fault, which means we are really unlikely to reach out for help. Or lean on other people because, as you're a child moving around all the time, you realize that kind of the only person you have is yourself, hmm. and you know your siblings or your or your your parents. Um, so that's probably the downfall to some degree as we become adults. Is is I don't want to say we're hardened, but um, you are at times a little closed off. Yeah.
2: And we talked a lot on, you know, the scuttlebutt before Sarah about how, you know, being in the military, it's not just something for the person that's serving. It's really like an entire family lifestyle. And I think you guys are a testament to that. I mean, it really, I don't think we can emphasize it enough how much it also affects, you know, the family of, you know, our our service members that are serving too, because it sounds like for both you and Chad, like this was a full lifestyle for you guys.
1: Oh my gosh, the whole family serves. That's what's so important. Everybody is a piece to the puzzle. Um, the person putting on the uniform and deploying overseas, obviously very, very critical, but they wouldn't be able to do that without certain support structures back home. And as a As a spouse, that means that you handle a lot of duties regarding your family, whether it's paying bills or dealing with your hot water heater breaking in the attic, that happened to me once, or sick kids. And holidays, and then for kids, it's that the parent is missing also holidays, birthdays, sporting events. Mm -hmm. It's kind of this weird, strange normal for us that live it. It's probably hard Mm -hmm. to understand for some civilians who who don't have that to, to juggle.
0: Was your dad deployed a lot?
1: Not a lot. Uh, so he was an engineer. Um, Mm -hmm. he was in operation, he was in desert storm. Um, and the largest was, I think he was deployed about a year or a little over a year when I was about sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And I remember that, that was, I remember being old enough to then recognize how much my mom had to deal with (laughs) and being like, wow, this is, this is kind of hard for her. And this is a long time for my dad to be gone.
0: And that sort of, did that ever cross your mind as you thought, okay, I'm going to marry into a, a military family as well. Like, like I'm going to add that level of stress that I saw my mom going through to my own life.
1: I, I know this sounds strange to people, but no, it didn't mm-hmm. because what was even louder in my mind was I, I didn't want to not be with Chad. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be with him wherever he was. That's where I would be. And mm-hmm. so stress deployments, danger I was in
2: I was going to say, I don't think that sounds weird at all. I think, you know, military or not. One thing that goes through is you do what you have to do for the people you love, whether that's, you know, your spouse, your family, you just, if you love them, you just do what you have to do to support them. I, I don't think that sounds weird to, you know, this civilian right here at all.
1: Good. Yeah.
0: Um, Take me through a bit of, of Chad's service. What year did he, did he enlist? Um, You know, how was basic training? Uh, You know, how, how did he really, he said he's got to have a guy who was just putting his mind to things. So how did he really tackle those?
1: Um, Well, originally he thought he wanted to go in as an officer. So he started out going to college and then realized pretty quickly, there wasn't at the time a need for officers to be a little harder. So he left college after a year and went in, um, 95 and went to boot camp. you know, great lakes where every Navy person goes and then off to Bud's he graduated Bud's in 1996. He was fortunate enough to not get rolled. So people who do any reading or research or talk to other seals, it's pretty common that, you know, they get injured or just beat down to a degree and they get Mm -hmm. rolled into the next class. And he he was fortunate to not, to not be rolled. Um, Mm -hmm. His service immediately took him back to the East coast where he did some medic training and then started at seal team eight. And he was at seal team eight for 10 years. um, Mm. And loved it. Did some deployments. We had our daughter. He ended up going back to school at night so he could finish his degree. That was Mm -hmm. important to him. He didn't really have the intention to then try to switch over and be an officer because he always wanted to be quote a door kicker. So to do that he wanted to stay enlisted but wanted his degree and i've shared this before but after 10 years in the service we got out of the military mm. and we made that choice um again i think being military kids and now having our own children it made us that's that's when that hit us right That that question i'm like ooh, danger you're gone a lot yeah. and us leaving the military was that whole, the grass is greener, right? It's going to be great. You're going to get out. You're going to do a civilian job, work nine to five. And, and we did. And, and, um, it was a huge leap of faith, but we were doing it together. And again, wherever you go, I go. I have a yeah. tattooed on me. Um, yeah. and we hated it. <laughs> 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 it i imagine terrible. if you've
0: seen the movie like true lies where it's like he's living that double life of like a spy and then he comes home and he's domesticated and he's just like boy this is boring i want to be out there like skiing and <laughs>
1: it just was not and again it's not to, yeah. to everybody gets choices in life mm-hmm. and that's not to undermine anybody who chooses that path or puts on a suit every day and goes to an office but for chad that was not his heartbeat and mm-hmm. um And I, you know, I don't regret it because it took us getting out and, and we did, he, he had a great job and we had a great house and all those American things. And, and we made some really great friends in those times that I still hold dear today, which is wonderful. Um, but we needed to do that almost to recognize how, almost how steadfast he was in, in doing this job and being a SEAL. And was it, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just said, we came back. Mm -hmm. It
0: was it partially service to country or was it the, I've heard people talk about the adrenaline of the job, how it's exciting, how you're being deployed. You're doing something that you really feel is meaningful. Um, you know, did that play on him? Like this, this idea of service?
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. To both of those. I mean, truthfully. Yeah. I think service was, was probably at at the pulse, at the heart of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but also the adrenaline. I mean, he he left in a suit and tie and sat in break rooms with, you know, men and women and attended baby showers. And it just, it just felt really uncomfortable and unnatural for him to be in that environment. It's, you know, it's like taking a wild animal and putting it in the zoo a little mm. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, however, what also happened in that time that we were out was, um, a couple big events specific to the seals, namely Operation Red Wings, uh, and and we lost a handful of men. And I remember sitting in our living room and him watching that. And if you if you get to understand these guys in this culture, they are to some degree communal creatures with each other. They're a pack. They they it's called team for a reason. Um yeah. And I think that pulled on him quite a bit. And as we know, post 9-11, things are ramping up. Mm-hmm. The world was getting busy and, and he had to go back. Right. Um,
2: I'd imagine, you know, 9-11 probably had a big impact on him then and on you, you know, being out at that time and then then seeing, I know you mentioned it, but I'd imagine that probably had a big impact on, you know, wanting to go back.
1: Yeah, well, and he was in when we, when 9-11 happened, he was still in at, at his first team, but I think now we're around 2005 and six, he's starting to see the way it's changing in the world and what's ramping up. And so, yeah, he, 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 I can't even describe it. We just looked at each other one day and I flipped his tie and I said, that's dumb. We're going back. Mm Mm-hmm. And because honestly, I don't think if I hadn't said that, I'm not sure he would have spoke up out of duty to to myself and our kids. Yeah, I think he he, you know, he's good. And, and we had made the goal to get out and have the civilian life, and so he was just trying really hard to stay focused on that, but I knew I knew that's just not what needed to happen.
2: You guys were a team of your own then. You we, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's the way I always saw it. So when did he earn the silver star? It's a good question. Uh, April, I believe it was April, 2011. Mm -hmm. So I think they were uh, without going into too much detail and it's read on another podcast. So it's out there publicly, but he, Mm -hmm. um, They were going after a target and came up. I think he exposed himself to enemy fire and ran up, ran up on them. Mm -hmm. And I think he helped also organize getting people out safely. And I don't, I don't want to downplay that because, because he's done great things, but there's also a lot of guys, a lot of that have earned silver stars. And that's not to downplay any of their accomplishments, but um, he's, he's not alone in that award, so.
0: Um, and we've talked with uh, Medal of Honor recipients here with, with the Veterans Breakfast Club, and um, you know, we all know it's not about getting awards and getting honors as you go through your service. You're, ju- you're doing your job, you're with your team. Um, if that comes out of it, it's usually because you were in a bad situation. Um, but understanding more of of what Chad's service was and and how you perceived his service, what did it mean to you, his service and uh, and him, you know, receiving the silver star? What, you know, what did you think whenever he was going through all of these different uh, deployments?
1: Whoo, that's a big question. <laughs> Every deployment was different. And had kind of a different feel and a different vibe. Uh, one, depending on what was happening in the world, where he was going, who he was with, the state of our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, while there was a little bit of a tempo, and this is, again, probably something that's foreign to some people, is like, you know, he deployed and when he came back one year later, he'd be gone. And in that year there's training trips. So it's not like you come home from deployment and you're just hanging out. I mean, he would come home, be home for a few weeks, and then be gone a couple weeks to somewhere else. Um, And that was tricky. I think in terms of, and this this is where it it can kind of be a negative and, and take people down the wrong path is they're Navy SEALs. And our world, our, our, our country, our media, makes them these larger than life, I always say, unbreakable badasses. And they are, I mean, they are badasses, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, they're just, they're guys that are husbands and brothers and dads. And to some degree, I find myself at fault sitting here now in my situation and looking back over Chad's career because he wasn't a guy that needed a lot of praise or would talk. If you met him, you would never even know he was a SEAL. He would probably tell you he's in the Navy. Mm -hmm. And then he would tell you he's a corpsman or a medic, which is true. Mm -hmm. And then if you kept prompting him, eventually he would let you know that. And so regards to his service or (laughs) deployments and or awards, that's kind of how we went through it. You know, he came home and was like, hey, I got this thing. And I'm like, oh. That's cool.
0: <laughs> like I, I got employee of the month kind of like. Yeah, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And I, I don't know if that's just how I reacted, but also how he kind of presented himself. Mm-hmm. Very low key, low key guy.
0: Interesting. Um, I, I, I like how you say that each deployment was different. That's the first time I've heard uh, a, a spouse say that about their 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 spouse in the in the service. Is that each deployment had a little bit of a different feel depending on how the world was? I hadn't thought of it that way.
1: Well, and I think it probably depends a little bit on on who you're talking to in terms of branch and and rate what they actually do in the military. There's there might be a larger group of people that it's a little more. Uh, Standard issue. If I say I go out on a ship, I'm on the ship for six months. We're over in this part of the ocean where, for for this group of guys specifically, seals, uh, tier one as they're referred to, they're you know they're busy. They're doing things. They're, there's action all the time, and so it was variable depending on where they were going, and like I said, who they were with, and and really just life back home.
0: Sort of foreshadowing here about um, the Chad One Thousand X, which we'll get to in just a little bit. When did you start getting heavy into CrossFit or fitness, and how did oh. that sort of develop that passion?
1: Um, when we were out of the military, Chad actually joined a CrossFit gym. I I thought I was fit, so I didn't think I really needed to join a gym. <laughs> to be fair, I had two really small kids, so it kept me really busy. To the moms out there, and he put me through a couple workouts in the garage, and I did it, you know just so I could hang out with them. But when we actually went back in the military, that's when I went to a CrossFit gym for a free workout. Cause I wanted to tell him I went, cause I wanted to impress him. <laughs> we were married. I had the guy, but I just, I always wanted to impress him. So <laughs> I went and, um, it was just a really great experience and it hooked me. So that was, uh, 2007, I think by the time I went in a CrossFit gym and, um, Because he was getting busy back in the military. That was more or less my outlet. I went to the gym and worked out and always was somewhat athletic growing up doing sports. And one thing led to another. And I went and got my credential to become a level one trainer, not because I wanted to coach anybody ever, but just because I wanted to know more about what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then that led organically to a friend asking me to train her. And then, We had this little one car garage and people started showing up just, I know Sean and he told me to come here, you know, and we're leading little heats, which then led me to open a gym. It was all very organic. Mm -hmm. So
2: well, props to you for starting props to you for going to that first workout. Cause I know CrossFit is not easy and I I personally am scared to do it because it just looks so tough. So props to you for going to even that first workout. Like, Oh yeah,
1: it was, it was intimidating, uh, walking in that gym, but I did it and it, and it changed my life truthfully because it was my career for the next 10 to 11 years. And I've made friendships that have lasted a lifetime and, um, learned even more just about leadership and team building and public speaking and fitness. And it's been great.
2: It's another community too. I find I've talked to a lot of people who do like CrossFit. It's like a true community. And I know people that, you know, are loyal to their gyms and they go together and that becomes almost like another little like team and family type unit. You know, the people you work out with, because you know, that's not easy. So you need some encouragement through those workouts and you need to lean on each other a little bit.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, just like the military has its community, those gyms, those people, uh, for many of them, I think they attend the gym because it, it provides this kind of mental relief more than what they might even get out of the physical side of it. So communal.
0: As we sort of move through the the later part of the the 2010s um, and i it, to our audience uh like we've said sarah has done many interviews before um you're welcome to go check those out uh we don't want to get too heavy into the weeds here but we do want to understand that in in the idea of honoring uh suicide awareness month gold star mothers and family month um that there was a there was a time of trauma here and going through this trauma as a family uh how did you how did you pick up the pieces whenever, after had, Chad had taken his life?
1: Oh, I think I'm still doing that. Um, his death came completely out of the blue. There was no warning to me at all. He never expressed any sort of struggle or hardship if he felt it. He, he didn't share it with me. And for someone who's in the military and someone who's been their spouse and their teammate for 20 years, we, we prepare ourselves for death Mm -hmm. to be quite honest. I mean, we've attended a lot of funerals in the last 20 years and we are fully prepared for when they go away to have someone, I can't say fully prepared, but I mean, it obviously is in our mind and we try as best as we can immensely prepare. Should the person come to our door in uniform and, and say, they won't be coming home. it's pretty traumatic when your husband is home and he's not deployed Mm -hmm. and he leaves and he never comes back. And not only that, you don't get the appropriate communication of how he died. Mm -hmm. And so on top of a, on, on top of a death, a death to suicide brings a lot of questions, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. And then to, on top of that, to just, the way, the way everything is handled. It's just so complex. Our children were 17 and 14 when he died. Mm-hmm. So added to that are two people who are in a very critical time in their life, trying to figure out who they are, as most teenagers are. And they are acutely aware of who is missing in their life. Mm-hmm. The person, the man that Chad was what he represented in their life, not just then, but who, who he was going to represent to them in their life moving forward. So so it's it's been complex to, to say the least. Um, we've done a little bit of everything, you know, because my children were teenagers, in some ways there's been three people handling grief in their own way. Mm-hmm unlike perhaps a mother that has smaller children, they're a little more removed with the type of death. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I think we've all done a fairly good job of, of respecting each other's space and how we do that. For all of us, it looks a little different. Mm-hmm. And I've done a little bit of everything. I um, took a trip to Bali I bought a pig, bought uh, a pig, <laughs> yeah. I hung out with friends. I didn't hang out with friends. I worked out. I didn't work out. I slept all the time. I didn't sleep at all. I, you name it. I feel like I've done it. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I journaled, um, skateboard. I noticed the skateboard in the back and heard you talk I about do that.
1: skateboard still. It's pretty important to me. It's mm-hmm. like therapy. Um, and you know, I think I think for us it's just it's a lifelong process. I, I don't think I'm ever gonna get to a point where I think, oh, I'm I'm healed or I'm I'm in a good way. I consider it it's it's like a backpack, kind of a metaphor, considering people wear backpacks to do the Chad workout, but mm-hmm. his loss and how it's affected us will affect me every day for the rest of my life. I think about him every single day. Mm-hmm. But as time has moved on, um, I think the, I think I haven't really had any other option and I'm okay with it other than to share his story and honor him and honor the struggle that other veterans go through when you, and I, and I've said this before too, but when you love someone and you lose them, all you want is for other people to have had the opportunity to know them. And that stems from love. And when you love someone so much and you have nowhere for that love to go, you, you have to find purpose somewhere. And that's kind of what has led me here. I'd, I love that man so much that I will push that onto everybody else in our community and any other veteran that is struggling because I don't want anybody to feel this mm-hmm. ever.
0: So how did you find GORUCK and, and where did the idea for Chad 1000 Next come from? Because we can feel that passion I get I get shivers now that passion of just like, I want people to know him, know who he was and, and this, this incredible person that, that I want everybody to know about who he was because he was so great.
1: Yeah, he so Chad's um, because he liked hard things, his goal was to climb the seven summits. He climbed Kenya, not one, but Kilimanjaro, and then he climbed Aconcagua January, the year he died. And the way he trained for those mountains was doing step ups on a box. And he would it was variable, the mat, the numbers he would do or the weight he would carry Um, but as it got closer to Aconcagua, he was doing a thousand step-ups with a 45 pound pack and he would do it in our garage and he would take a projector and he would project Aconcagua on the back of our garage door. He, he had intense focus, which, which is what I only hope to, when you lose someone too, you also try to find what pieces of them you can carry forward and embody. (laughs) And I think about that a lot. Um, his intense ability to focus. And so he would do these thousand step-ups and he would look at the mountain that he was going to go climb because he was determined. And, and I spoke at his memorial and I made I made reference to that, to him doing the thousand step-ups. Mm-hmm. And so people kind of took to it and thought, you know, fellow CrossFitters in the in the room thought, oh, that sounds like a good challenge. I'll go do that. I really didn't anticipate it to become such a widespread workout And last year I was approached by GORUCK um, and a guy named Chris Irwin, also a fellow SEAL who now works for the Navy SEAL Foundation. And they said, Hey, you know, we'd love to take this Chad workout and we think that we want people to do it in the masses and and we can really raise awareness. And I just said, Nope.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So at first you were, no, I I don't. Yeah. Uh,
1: You know, again, how I'm in a, I'm in a, how, where I am day to day varies, Mm -hmm. right? I carry this every day. And so they called me and I thought, no, well, I took a van trip through the Pacific Northwest and um, I was laying on a picnic table in the Redwoods one day. I said, I'm going to need some time. And I just started to realize that if we could do this workout and raise awareness and not just share Chad's story, but moving forward, you know, my hope and my plan is to share others' stories mm-hmm. and bring light to the current struggle our veterans have around PTSD, TBI, and really blast wave injury, that which is growing mm-hmm. incredibly fast, then if we can do good with it, then I'm on board. And so they called me back and I explained, and I said, I have to be fully involved and invested in this. And, and I want to be more or less in control of, of the narrative and how this is put out. And, and that's what happened. And, and it was late last year. It was, we were late. We had meetings and we all kind of agreed as a team, like, Hey, we realize we're really late to the game. This is going to go down around veterans day. Um, Typically, you know, people will do workouts around the date of death of the person and and Chad died October 29th and we had a discussion about it and I said, you know, I don't want the workout to be done on October 29th and people can do it then Don't, don't don't there's not a rule, but I really want it done around veterans day because because that's that's the message right the message is about current veterans let's get them talking Let's let's show them support on this day, and um, it was kind of mind blowing how well, really, the world took to it. Um, I, I sat on my couch and just fielded messages for hours from people anywhere—Germany, Australia, India, the United States—and just how many people opened up and and shared so much, at least with me, and I'm a stranger, so. It was pretty profound, um, pretty humbling. And that's that's what took us to this year.
2: It sounds like you found the important catalyst to start kind of this critical conversation, you know, not only for other families going through the same thing, but maybe other veterans, because it seems like a lot of people, when you were answering all those messages, maybe they just needed that that one thing to latch on to, to get them to open up. And it seems like maybe you uh, you found it
1: unintentionally really i'm i'm just out here trying to do the right things for the right reasons um i I, i'll be honest i was almost unaware i was almost naive to the rate of struggling of people right I, i i underestimated how much maybe people really did need this and they could hold on to it and um and feel heard and feel validated I think people need that as well, especially in the world today. We're so isolated. I mean, Mm -hmm. that doesn't have to be stated. I think we're all aware. But for people to show up and do the workout together or with a friend and share a story and feel validated or others to even share the story of someone they've lost, I think there's power in that.
0: Speaking specifically to the workout, is it one thousand step ups over the course of a day? Do you do it during a week? Is it uh, how? What is the commitment level? And side note, how how fit do you have to be to do a thousand step ups?
1: Good question, Sean. It's <laughs> thousand step ups, no break, just do it.
0: <laughs> no break. So one, you you're doing this in one stand, one.
1: Well. Within reason, right? There's no real hard rules for the workout. The workout is a thousand step-ups on a 20 inch box. Guys use 45 pounds. Girls obviously can scale and that's what we call expert. So because, you know, if you think back to CrossFit or even other gyms, right, we scale the workout, um, standard would be maybe you use the weight and lower the box. Um, or use the box, lower the weight, slick is basically unweighted. And so what's, what's important for people to know is in terms of athleticism, you have to have zero to none. A step up is not, ta- is not technical. You do it every day, right? Walking, assuming barring injury or, or recklessness that you can step up and step down. We care less about the height of the box and the weight you carry, but more about the heart and the effort. So if it means that you're just stepping up on the first stoop to your porch and you're stepping down, we'll take it. Um, With that being said, for those people that are gonna do a thousand and or use significant weight, keep in mind, even Chad, who's pretty fit and athletic and, and trained, He did this over a course of time. He didn't just go out one day and do a 1,000 step-ups because even the volume, even the number can be problematic. And so we do have a training plan on the chad1000x.com site for people who want to build up their capacity. However, we also encourage people, if a 1,000 seems like a lot, and it is a lot, it's going to take you over an hour. It's a lot. Do it with a friend. And so it's a little bit like, if Sean and I, you and I were going, I step up, I step down, you step up, you step down. And keeping that rhythm, what's what what's poetically beautiful about that is just reinforcing the fact that while this workout isn't technical, everybody needs somebody.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we just hope people participate in whatever form, fashion they can.
0: We're definitely going to be putting links uh, in this video and in our in our YouTube uh, for people to to join up on it. Catherine, you had a thought?
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, whether people are doing this, you know, maybe with a group of people they all want to participate, or maybe somebody is only able to do it by themselves. You know, aside from just the workout, you said it's going to take them over an hour. You know, if you could plant. Like one little thought in somebody's head during that hour to either you know keep them going or something that you'd like you know people to know or think about you know during this workout. What would you what would you want participants you know to be thinking about or know maybe to get them through that uh, hour plus with those thousand step ups?
0: It's a good question. Yeah, you gotta (laughs) find that. that Well, because I
1: got I got so much to say. Yeah. Truthfully, I think what's going to happen and what people have shared with me is they have shared their surprise at all the places their mind wanders, Um, maybe about their own mental hardship or someone they've lost. I I would say at some point in that hour, if you could just really remember that freedom isn't free and that of all of our military that have served, while there are many that didn't make it back home. There are many that did, and that doesn't mean that their service is over mm-hmm. and that so many of them still carry kind of the, the sight, sounds, wounds from war or their experience. And to just really let that resonate, so as you're walking around in our currently free country, really just take a minute to reflect on the people who gave that to you.
0: That's a really, a really good note to keep in mind and and before we started recording the podcast today you mentioned uh that you use this as also uh use what chad 1000x to really bring attention to the fact that there are a lot of veterans who are currently struggling um and and i wanted you to speak a bit more about that being a part of that community yeah. and having sort of the ear to to current active veterans um, you know what have you uh learned from them
1: Uh, well, we, you'll hear it often referred to as invisible wounds. So Mm -hmm. as we know, we see many military come back with, with, with physical wounds. They've, they've lost limbs and, um, given their eyesight, the brain injury that these guys are experiencing, the blast wave that they're exposed to, whether it's rapid gunfire, breaching doors, hard impacts on helos. It's a lot. Um, So PTSD is truthfully a thing. It's real. Mm -hmm. However, unfortunately, sometimes I think the word gets overplayed and then people stop listening. Many of our veterans struggle, right? They, they, you'll start to see typically what you're going to start to see is they start to sleep really badly, poorly. And the sleep goes downhill. And and if we've learned anything from science, sleep is when our body kind of rebuilds. It's like rebooting the computer. And if you don't have good sleep and you can't hence reboot the computer, it only leads your body down derailment. I'll just put it at that. Mm -hmm. So poor sleep. We see them with headaches. We see them with ringing in their ears. They lose their balance sometimes. They have really sensitive They're they're highly sensitive to light. Um, They're super triggered by loud noises. Um, Obviously, they're irritable. Sometimes it's anger. And what we see is as this starts to affect the body and the brain, their pain goes up. And, and for, for certain, I speak of guys, because obviously my, my home is, is among the SEAL community, but, but men and women, you know, they're, they're experiencing like systemic pain or inflammation in the body for our guys. And for Chad, his face started to swell. Hmm. And I didn't think much of it at the time. I mean, he made jokes saying I'm gaining weight. You're not going to like me anymore. I mean, he, he was in his Mm forties, um, but his face started to swell in a way that just isn't right. Um, A lot of times they isolate themselves. They become a lot less social. If they were social before, they're probably less social. If they weren't very social as Chad was, he almost became like a hermit. He wanted to stay home. He didn't want to be around people. And, and I think I've said, I've, I've said this, but, for the special ops community, it's easy to say that that's just how those guys are. It's easy to just put that in a bucket that it's typical of their profession and their personalities to, to you know be quiet, be standoffish, be hypervigilant. But there's also a point where it's not normal. And I think if your radar kind of goes up or it seems a little excessive, people should be worried there's we can go into scientific studies and stuff about treatment for PTSD I I think it's a huge uphill battle I think that the treatments that people are going to find it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all I think our military and our government like to medicate the military I think that's absolutely the wrong answer Um,
0: there's a lot of stigma around it there's a lot of you know a lot of what the military well, a lot of what we get fed from the media and what we see is that the veterans are broken, or you know, PTSD is this thing that every veteran deals with, and you know, there's a lot of actual science and facts behind these things that not every veteran deals with PTSD, but those who do, this is a very real problem, and medication isn't always the best isn't the best route, um, you know, and and that's something that I think we've tried to talk about more on the on the scuttlebutt is is trying to demystify it a bit, and yourself who, who dealt with, you know, your spouse dealing with PTSD, with traumatic brain injury, um, of all of the deployments and different things. Um, you know, how did you help him through that? How did you, uh, help him to, to get help if he needed?
1: I I didn't, that's, Mm. that's the hardest part. you guys said earlier, you were a team. And when I hear that, it's hard for me to hear because I saw us as a team, there was nothing I didn't tell Chad. He was my best friend and i thought that that went both ways but he didn't share with me if he even realized or recognized i don't know his struggle into in some ways it feels a little bit like a betrayal and that's just another thing that you have to live with and i we donated his brain he had interface astroglial scarring, which is scarring in the brain tissue we see in our military veterans due to blast injury. Mm -hmm. So if you've heard the word CTE, our guys have that as well. And you'll hear it among the NFL and hockey players also referred to as punch drunk. That's from that like physical contact. Interface astroglial scarring happens from the, the systemic or seismic wave that happens in the brain to blast the outcomes ultimately the same in terms of deterioration of the brain. And a lot of times, many of them making the choice to take their own life. I speak of all those signs and symptoms now, because I've had almost three years to sit here and and replay my life on repeat. And I can look back at things that happened in the weeks and the months prior to his death that I now go, yeah, that was just weird. Mm -hmm. But again, if, if you would have asked me then, that's just how he is. Right. And that's what's scary. And, and that's, that's one of my big focal points for talking is that it's a fine line between honoring these guys and respecting their job and the skill sets they carry and of that silent professional and, and being like, as I say, his refuge in the shadows versus being the person that now it's really going to fall on the spouses and what I call their first responders to, to be on their lookout and watch out for them. I was at a dinner, a gala this last weekend, and I sat next to a, a, a seal and his wife. And after speaking, they, they learned a little bit more of my story. They didn't know me. And I could see the, uh, the girl's eyes kind of get big. And she said, yeah, he does that. He does that. He does that. And she said, what, what do I do? And it's like, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I spend a significant amount of time reaching out to those people and reading different studies that are happening. Mm -hmm. But if anything, those people probably should be making notes somewhere of these things they start to recognize. Is there a pattern? How often does it happen? Right. I think it would be better than nothing.
0: Do you find yourself advocating to um, blue star wives of special ops uh, servicemen and women uh, to say like, you know, maybe they should get out or maybe they should take a break or maybe like, you know, watch out for these red flags because, you know, it might be time for them to, to exit service to help save their life.
1: That you just, you just hit the trickiest conversation there is to have. And here's why. Again, speaking of our guys, they don't quit. Yeah. And if you decide to separate from service and, or take a break from deployments it's never said that it's a bad thing, but there's kind of a cultural underbelly in some way you quit right. or you you've left your brothers behind.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: would love to, to push that needle a little bit. And again, I, I think that I said they're they're bred with the heart of a warrior and and I do. I believe that these men, and women in other branches have in them that heart of a warrior and that duty to serve and to be something bigger than yourselves. However, we are now in a world where veterans have served their entire career post nine 11. We are in a world where guys that my husband worked with have done eight plus deployments in combat seeing action regularly it's almost like a hamster on a wheel and while they are trained and have amazing skill sets they are human they are not robots and there's only so much a human can take exposure to that before it would only make sense that everybody needs a break the tricky part is what affects one guy after two deployments might not affect another guy for six deployments. And what's the right number? What would be really wonderful is if the military leadership and as they call them headsheds picked that number and made it standardized that after x number of deployments you have to go take a break. That would take a lot of the stigma and the ego and the pressure off the operator, and it would make it commonplace that that's just how the system works.
0: That's a great idea. Yeah. It seems
2: like starting, you know, as I speak to more veterans and learn, you know, more about things like PTSD, I know you said it's overused, but as I start to learn more about it, it seems like those conversations are becoming more frequent and I mean, it, it, it feels like looking from the outside that maybe the more that we have these conversations, like it's slowly starting to begin a, a, a cultural shift almost that you kind of mentioned would have to help and help it happen within the military. Like it seems right now, the best thing that we can do, you know, even as civilians from the outside is keep these conversations going.
1: 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it's like picking out a wound that we just need to stay open so people become a little less sensitive to the conversation, but that and suicide. I would love to change the narrative around that. I I want people to say the word suicide and it's died by suicide or took their life. It is not committed suicide in my world. And I live with that every day. So I'm not, I'm sensitive to it, but it you know, It's my life. And mm-hmm. and if we can normalize a little bit this idea and uh, truthfully that suicide is growing and that our men and women are struggling with the mental effects of war, then I can only hope that more people will speak up and share their story. And as I said before, there's power in that. There's power in just people sharing wow, I feel that too. And I've really had a hard time and at least they feel heard and they don't feel alone.
0: It's very much the community. And that's the term I've, I circled here is that I've heard that come up multiple times here in the conversation. And I kind of wanted to ask you to speak to these different communities. You were in a military family, grew up with a, a military mindset. You have CrossFit community, but there was also this community that, that you reluctantly were thrust into or or not reluctantly that's probably the wrong word is uh you no one wants to be a part of the community of gold star families or gold star mothers um and then this community was thrust upon you and and what was it like coming into that and and i've heard that it's very they're very welcoming there's an understanding there that no one can can or no one wants to understand
1: oh yeah it's um it's a club none of us wanted to be a part of. That's our kind of running joke. It's, uh, I, I can't speak to other gold star groups in terms of other branches. I, I'm only familiar with the SEAL group. And for where I live, there's a lot of us here. And before losing Chad, we all knew who those women were. Yeah. We would go out to a local restaurant or a bar and you'd see some of them. and 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 people would say the widows are here the widows are here. And I remember thinking like, they have names, like they just, that's what they call them. You know, Mm -hmm. when I lost Chad and I became a part of that group, I was, I was very nervous and scared because my husband didn't die overseas. He, he, he wasn't killed by a foreign threat and maybe not everyone agrees with this, but in some ways that, that's honorable. That's seen as honorable. Mm -hmm. That's almost in some ways rewarded through plaques and, and awards and ceremonies and movies and fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. It's not the same when you lose someone to suicide. So I wasn't really sure how I was going to be perceived. And to be honest, in some ways, I do feel a little bit on the outside because I recognize that, that, I am not the same, but that's probably more on my own responsibility, not to do with any of the women that I'm with. Once I became a part of the group and we really do have, we all recognize we are very fortunate to have the support of various organizations standing behind us. Um, I'm very grateful. Mm-hmm. But once I became a part of that group, I, I, I don't know how I would be where I am without them, quite honestly. There is just an unspoken understanding that happens. And and if you were to speak to any of us, everyone has their own unique story, and everyone also has their own unique path of how they process this. And and it goes literally across the rainbow of different um, grieving, healing, coping mechanisms, what's great is that for us, I don't think there's any judgment right or wrong. I think we recognize that we all kind of have to take our own steps. They're fully supportive. And um, and it's nice knowing that when you see them, because we know each other fairly well, I always say it's kind of this quiet nod of respect that when I see My fellow widows, I think about not just them, but their husband that they lost, and I see his face in my mind, and I think about the story, and I think about their children, and um, that never goes away every time I see them.
2: So, Sarah, what, you know, you have your community of, you know, people that have gone through the same thing with the Gold Star families and all of that. What what can we do as you know civilians who aren't you know don't have a spouse in the military, don't have somebody we love in the military? like how can we start you know start the conversation or help support you know our veterans like what what do you think that we can do as civilians to kind of aid in this uh, kind of mission of letting our veterans know that you know it's okay and they can open up and there's help and all things like because I always talk to people and I just want to know, like, what can I do? Is there anything I can do in my daily life or if I meet veterans, you know, to have a positive impact?
1: I mean, this might be different from person to person on how they think it should be handled. Um, I was on a plane recently and a young military kid stood up and this woman said to him, are you in the military? And he said, yes, ma'am. And she said, thank you for your service. And he said, I do what I can, ma'am. And he was young, but it made me think, I hear that a lot. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. And and it's a little bit of a too much of a blanket statement for me. That, that, That really doesn't tell me anything as someone who's a gold star spouse sitting right across the thing. It would be really great if people just said, make one more comment, ask one more question. As a civilian, if you pass someone in the military, not just say thank you for your service, but add to that. Like, I am really fortunate for people like you that I get to live a great life because you're willing to give so much. I think even just recognizing that, and again, it's it's we need to make people feel validated and heard for their service. Um, and in addition, you know, I mean, hang the American flag, people. I get I get so fired up. I don't <laughs> want people to hang the American flag. Hang the American flag. Um, regardless of your political stance, right? It's like, mm-hmm. how many people have fought for that flag so that you can go get your Starbucks every day? Um, take part in, in, in military functions, in parades. I mean, be proud and, and don't just be proud on, on Memorial Day and 4th of July when it's cool and, and trendy mm-hmm. to, to wear the red, white, and blue and, and the crazy eyeglasses and headbands. Like, do this all year long. Again, it doesn't have to be over the charts every single day, but but live with the respect of freedom and, mm-hmm. and sacrifice. I,
0: I heard someone say it once that I really appreciated. It. it was beyond thank you for your service. It was thank you, thank you for my freedom, which I thought really uh, stuck with me.
1: It's because I, I, I mean, I've just heard people say that too many times, and truthfully, it's a compliment. I mean, I'm not going to put down anybody who's giving a compliment, but like, why did you say that? Right. What else? Um, Yeah. And
0: we actually had a full, full conversation. If, if our audience remembers back that far in season one about is, is thank you for your service enough. And, and though overall it's, it's a widely accepted thing within the veteran and, and active service community of like, yeah, that's what people say, but there is that echo of like, but take it a step further. Ask me about, what branch I served in, why I decided to enlist, you know, you know, all of these different things. A lot of veterans come from military families. Ask me about my family, you know. Uh, take a, an active role in in trying to connect with me a bit further than just that blanket. Thank you for your service, you know. And I think as a civilian, I know that before I got to understand the veteran community, thank you for your service was almost I was almost kind of embarrassed to say it. I was like, I don't really know where. What- to go with this, what do I say? You know, and and that was just the easy thing to say. Um, but I, you know, I think as I've gotten to know a lot more veterans and understand they're just people like us, and they, you know, they enlisted, they had a job to do. You know, you can communicate on those on that level. That's everybody has a job. Ask them about their job.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, and you know they'll let you know if they don't want to talk about it. But um, it's it's nice to know, you know, the state of our world. Sometimes I get frustrated with humanity. Um, I recently, a few weeks ago, I, I did a hike of the Grand Canyon, rim to rim of the Grand Canyon with a veterans oh. group. And it was gold star spouses and then um veterans, and two of the veterans were below-the-knee amputees. So if you want to be humbled, you go hike the Grand Canyon with these the, the veterans with their prosthetics. I mean, I cannot sing their praises enough, but I think one of the greatest parts of the weekend week was these women had kind of followed us down. They were hiking rim to rim as well. And they hiked down and they, you know, they kind of caught a little glimpse of our story and said, you guys are doing great, you know. Mm -hmm. And then by the time we were hiking out, we, you know, we'd get ahead, they'd get ahead, we'd get ahead, they'd get ahead. And they finally stopped us and, and just literally like could not say enough of how proud of the military they were and how grateful they were and how, how respectful they were for our loss and, and for the veteran service. And they said, you, we have to get out ahead of you because we want to cheer you on when you make it out. So you have to let us ahead and such a small thing, right? Such a small thing, but it gave me a lot. And I was incredibly
2: appreciative of that. Yeah.
0: I only have a couple more thoughts, Catherine.
2: Yeah, I just, you said something that really has resonated with me lately, and I want to bring it up again, just how important it is, is that we need to be proud of our veterans and our military, not just, you know, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, but all year long. I was just having a conversation with a gentleman recently um, here where I work in um, Wheeling, West Virginia, like the Ohio Valley area, who was saying he's on a mission to get more people to come to like Veterans Day services because who maybe aren't connected to a veteran just to come show their appreciation. And that kind of resonated with me. But also like, I feel like maybe we as civilians need to make a culture change where like, thank you for your service is not enough anymore. Like we need to make it a point to like stop whatever we're doing, you know, everybody's busy. But when you see somebody who is a veteran or in active duty maybe just take a minute and if they have five minutes just like talk and say hello you know life can pause for a second just to let somebody else know that you appreciate
1: them yeah and a compliment works both ways so when you compliment someone they obviously feel good but you'd be surprised you feel good complimenting giving the compliment yeah. we partnered with our chad 1000x events we partnered with sebastian younger sebastian younger oh. is the author of the book tribe filmmaker restrepo okay
0: yep the war. He, he was he was uh, interviewed on our prior podcast
1: oh great okay mm-hmm. so he um has initiated what's called a vets town hall did you all speak of this at all we have not yet so he it's his concept and the idea is um at an event you recruit ideally, a few veterans ahead of time, let's say three to six, they're given upwards of 10 minutes to share essentially what their service means to them. So it's a little wide open. It could be anything from service to deployment, hardships on a family, loss of a friend. I mean, it's really their time to speak. There is no Q&A, there is no panel, and people can attend obviously military and civilians He says what's happened in the past is once those people speak there's also veterans in the audience that usually feel a little more um comfortable speaking themselves so they get up and they share and i think it has the potential to be incredibly powerful because again like we've talked about Mm -hmm. having someone have a voice and feel validated and and share not just their struggle but accomplishment maybe Mm -hmm. it's something wonderful that happened And also having civilians get a glimpse into that, the people who might not be affiliated with the military, but still respect their service. And we're initiating vet town halls in, at our live events. So in San Diego, there'll be one in New York city, Mm -hmm. um, Jacksonville, Florida. And I hope to see this grow over, over time.
0: That's wonderful. And it's something that, uh, uh, here at the Veterans Breakfast Club, we do. Um, you know, it's uh Monday nights because of the pandemic. We have our seven p.m. live on Zoom every Monday night. We bring together veterans, non-veterans to talk about veteran topics and military topics. Really, um, we just had a had a really great conversation recently about the Mews-Argonne offensive in World War One. Um, it's always historic. It's always educational. It's always uh really really interesting. And we started in two thousand eight about having breakfast, just bringing veterans into a room. And and you're so right about that. Once you get them all in the room, some of them who may never have talked about it before will get inspired and stand up and, and tell. And a lot of family members have said, I've never heard him or her talk about any of this. And now they are, and it's something that means something to the family. Um, I'm, I'm very inspired by, uh, by Chad 1000X, by Chad's story, um, by, by your story um, and Veterans Breakfast Club. We are doing a 24 hour marathon Calling it a Vetathon. Uh, we're going to do this on Veterans Day, November 11th. Um, we're going to go 24 hours on Zoom. I want to do 1,000 step ups. I'm going to say it now. I'm regretting it immediately. <laughs> but you I want to do
1: 1,000
0: uh, yeah, I I 1, step ups during the Vetathon. Catherine is going to take an hour during that. We're going to have 24 hosts throughout the course of the day talking veteran stories, bringing veterans into the room, nonprofit spotlights. Um, it's going to be a really wonderful celebration of veterans and veteran stories. And I thought, you know what, this, this is a really good opportunity for me to do this here, right in my basement. I thought I'll wear a backpack, put the same weight that my daughter is and in the backpack, which is about 30 pounds. And uh, I'll deal with all the pain the next day. But
2: as we were talking to Sarah, I, you know, Sarah, you inspired me. I'm like, I, I think I want to do this. So, you like, do it. so, so do Sean, it. maybe we can partner, partner up and do it and do it together. Cause I just You know, Sarah, after talking to you and hearing about Chad, I just am really, you know, inspired by what you're trying to do. And I I think it's just a a beautiful and wonderful mission to honor him and help more people in the process. And you, you know, you you hooked me just in the last 45 minutes. So, you know, I can only imagine how, as this goes on, how many other people that, you know, you're going to help and, and touch.
1: Thank you guys. I appreciate it. I wish you luck. Your calves. It's the calves that hurt the next day. It's sneaky.
0: Well, I have about, (laughs) I have about a year of sitting in this chair because of COVID. So (laughs) hopefully that's good training for what I'm about to do.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Hey, listen, I, you know, I've been trying to get my rear end going after having my son a year and a half ago. So why not let's go. (laughs) This is it. This is
1: it. I believe in you. You can absolutely do it. Just train up for it.
0: Thank you, Sarah. And um, I, you know, uh, in parting words, if there was if there was anything about Chad that you really wanted the audience to take away from, the one thing that you want them to take away about Chad and his story and your story, what would it be?
1: Oh, you keep asking some really good questions, Sean, that are like, How much time do you have? Mom, yeah. um, you know, for for me sitting here who had a Navy SEAL as a husband, who was really good at what he did. He was a solid team player. He was a hard worker. He was incredibly focused and he took his life. I want people to know, and I hope to change this is that he died in combat. Mm -hmm. He's no different. And as I've said before, he was just still breathing on the plane ride home. And to me, he was completely unbreakable. And I've had many of his teammates say the same thing. They couldn't believe that that this happened to Chad. And so, if it could happen to him, it could happen to many, many others. And they're not unbreakable.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Sarah, so much for spending the time with us today. I do hope that you'll join us for the Vetathon if you if you'd like.
1: I, yeah, I would like to. I. Um, you'll have to send me all the details. I, I'm going to a gala that night and speaking, but I definitely would like to hop on for a little bit. Sure.
0: We, we'd love to have you. Uh, 12 a.m. to 12 a.m. is going to be the. it's going to be so much fun. Um, yeah, but it's yeah. just going to be it's going to be veterans throughout the day from different eras, different branches, just telling stories um, I think right that's here awesome. on Zoom. Um,
1: that's
0: awesome. So. Thank you again. We're very honored again to have you a part of uh, this conversation to honor Chad in this way. Um, I'm looking forward to honoring him as well, uh, doing the thousand step-ups I'm going to sign up now. And I hope our audience does as well. Catherine, I look forward to having you a part of that challenge Yes, as well. let's
2: do it. I'm Let's go. I'm ready.
0: Awesome. Um, again, thank you, Sarah. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing our audience. Please like, share, subscribe, ring the bell on YouTube. And uh, we'll hope to see you on the next Sky Robot. I wanna thank Millerstown Pick Apart for their generous support and sponsorship of this program. For Millerstown's hours, direction, inventory, and pricing, go to pickapartyard.com. That's P-I-C-A-P-A-R-T-Y-A-R-D.com. Thank you so much, Millerstown, and uh, we'll see you on the next Scuttlebutt.